0: Chapter 7 of In Freedom's Cause. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris. In Freedom's Cause by G. A. Henty. Chapter 7 The Cave in the Pentlands. John Kerr was well nigh beside himself with fury. If this was to go on, the whole of his estate would be harried, his vassals ruined, and his revenues stopped, and this by a mere handful of foes. Again he started with his vassals to explore the hills, this time in parties of ten only, so as to explore thoroughly a larger space of ground. When at evening the men returned, it was found that but two men of one of the parties, composed entirely of men-at-arms from the castle, came back. They reported that when in a narrow ravine showers of rocks were hurled down upon them from both sides. Four of their number were killed at once, and four others had fallen pierced by arrows from an unseen foe as they fled back down the ravine. "'May thanks, Sir John,' Red Roy said, "'that I know the place where the Forbeses may have taken up their abode. "'When I was a boy I was tending a herd of goats far up in the hills and near the pass where this mischance has to-day befallen us. "'I found a cave on the mountain side.' Its entrance was hidden by bushes, and I should not have found it had not one of the goats entered the bush, and remained there so long that I went to see what he was doing. And there I found a cave. The entrance was but three feet high, but inside it widened out into a great cavern, where fifty men could shelter. Perchance Archie Forbes or some of his band may also have discovered it, and if so they might well think that no better place of concealment could be found. We will search it tomorrow, the knight said. Tell the vassals to gather here three hours before daybreak. We will start so as to be there soon after sunrise. If they are on foot again to-night, they will then be asleep. Did you follow the cave and discover whether it had any other entrances beyond that by which you entered?' "'I know not,' the henchman replied. "'It goes a long way into the hills, and there are several inner passages, but these I did not explore, for I was alone and feared being lost in them.' Next morning some homesteads were burnt, but this time the vassals did not turn out as they had been told to rest until the appointed hour, whatever might befall. Three hours before daybreak, a party of fifty picked men assembled at the castle, for this force was deemed to be ample. The two men who had escaped from the attack on the previous day led the way to the ravine, and there Red Roy became the guide and led the band farther up the hillside. Had it been possible, they would have surrounded the cave before daylight, but Roy said that it was so long since he had first found the cave that he could not lead them there in the dark but would need daylight to enable him to recognize the surroundings. Even when daylight came, he was for some time at fault, but he at last pointed to a clump of bushes growing on a broken and precipitous face of rock, as the place where the cave was situated. Red Roy was right in his conjecture. Archie had once, when wandering among the hills, shot at a wildcat and wounded it, and had followed it to the cave to which it had fled, and seeing it an advantageous place of concealment, had, when he determined to harry the district of the Kurs, fixed upon it as the hiding-place for his band. Deeming it possible, however, that its existence might be known to others, he always placed a sentry on watch, and on the approach of the Kurs, Cluny Campbell, who happened to be on guard, ran in and roused the band with the news that the Kurs were below. Archie immediately crept out and reconnoitred them, from the bushes he could see that his foes were for the present at fault. Sir John himself was standing apart from the rest, with Red Roy, who was narrowly scrutinizing the face of the cliff. And Archie guessed at once that they were aware of the existence of the cavern, though at present they could not determine the exact spot where it was situated. It was too late to retreat now, for the face of the hill was too steep to climb to its crest, and their retreat below was cut off by the Kurs. He therefore returned to the cave, leaving Clooney on guard. They are not sure as to the situation of the cave yet, Archie said, but they will find it. We can hold the mouth against them for any time, but they might smoke us out. That's our real danger. Or if they fail in that, they may try starvation. Do half a dozen of you take brands at once from the embers and explore all the windings behind us. They are so narrow and low that hitherto we have not deemed it worth while to examine them, but now they are really our only hope. Some of them may lead round to the face of the hill, and in that case we might find some way by which we may circumvent the cur's. Six of the lads at once started with flaming pine knots, while Archie returned to the entrance. Just as he took his place there, he saw Red Roy pointing toward the bushes. A minute or two later, Sir John and his followers began to advance. Archie now called out the rest of his band, who silently took their places in the bushes beside him. Led by Sir John and his personal retainers, the assailants approached the foot of the rocks and began to make their way up, using the utmost precaution to avoid any noise. There was no longer any need for concealment, and as the foremost of the assailants began to climb the great boulders at the foot of the precipice, a dozen arrows from the bush above alighted among them, killing three and wounding several others. Sir John Kerr shouted to his men to follow him, and began to clamber up the hill. Several arrows struck him, but he was sheathed in mail, as were his men-at-arms, and although several were wounded in the face and two slain, they succeeded in reaching the bushes, but they could not penetrate further for as they strove to tear the bushes aside and force an entry, those behind pierced them with their spears, and as but four or five assailants at a time could gain a footing and use their arms, they were outnumbered and finally driven back by the defenders. When Sir John, furious at his discomfiture, rejoined his vassals below, he found that the assault had already cost him eight of his best men. He would, however, have again led them to the attack, but Red Roy said, "'It were best, my lord, to send back and bid fifty of the vassals "'to come up hither at once with bows and arrows. They can so riddle those bushes that the defenders "'will be unable to occupy them to resist our advance.' "'Ay, that were a good step, Sir John,' said. "'But even when we gain the ledge, "'I know not how we shall force our way through the hole "'which you say is but three feet high.' "'There is no need to force our way in,' Redroy replied. "'Each man who climbs shall carry with him a faggot of wood, "'and we'll smoke them in their holes like wolves.' "'Till's well thought of, Roy, that assuredly is the best plan. Send off at once one of the most fleet-footed of the party.' Archie, watching from above, saw the assailants draw back out of bowshot, and while one of their numbers started at full speed down the hillside, the others sat down, evidently prepared to pass some time before they renewed the attack. Leaving two of the party on guard, Archie, with the rest, re-entered the cavern. The searchers had just returned, and reported that all the various passages came to nothing, save one, which ascended rapidly and terminated in a hole which looked as if it had been made by a rabbits, and through which the light of day could be seen. Then it is there we must work, Archie said, I will myself go and examine it. The passage, after ascending to a point which Archie judged to be nigh a hundred feet above the floor of the cave, narrowed to a mere hole but two feet high and as much wide. Up this he crawled for a distance of four or five yards, then it narrowed suddenly to a hole three or four inches in diameter, and through this, some three feet further, Archie could see daylight through a clump of heather. He backed himself down the narrow passage again until he joined his comrades. Now, he said, do four of you stay here and take it by turns, one after the other, to enlarge the hole forward to the entrance? As you scrape the earth down you must pass it back, handful by handful. Do not enlarge the outer entrance or disturb the roots of the heather growing there. Any movement might be noticed by those below. It is lucky, indeed, that the rock ends just when it gets to its narrowest, and that it is but sandy soil through which we have to scrape our way. It will be hard work, for you have scarce room to move your arms, but you have plenty of time since we cannot sally out till nightfall." The hours passed slowly, and about noon the lookout reported that a number of bowmen were approaching. They are going to attack this time under cover of their fire," Archie said, and as I do not wish to hazard the loss of any lives, we will keep within the cave and let them gain the ledge. They can never force their way through the narrow entrance. The only thing I fear is smoke. I purpose that if they light a fire at the mouth of the cave, we shall retire at once up the passage where we are working, and block it up at a narrow place a short distance after it leaves this cavern with our clothes. You had best take off some of your things, scrape up the earth from the floor of the cavern, and each make a stout bundle, so that we can fill up the hole solidly. This was soon done, and the bundles of earth were laid in readiness at the point upon which their leader had fixed. In the meantime Archie had rejoined the lookout. Hmm, "'They have been scattered for some time,' the guard said. and have been cutting down bushes and making them into faggots.' Yes, yeah, just what I expected,' Archie exclaimed. The bowmen are joining them now. We shall soon see them at work." Sir John Kerr now marshalled his retainers. He and his men-at-arms drew their swords and the rest, putting the bundles of faggots on their shoulders, prepared to follow, while the bowmen fitted their arrows to the string. "'Fall back, inside the cave,' Archie said. "'It is of no use risking our lives.' The band now gathered in a half-circle, with levelled spears round the entrance. Soon they heard the sharp tapping sound as the arrows struck upon the rock, and there was a crash among the bushes. "'Come on!' Sir John shouted to the vassals. "'The foxes have slunk into their hole!' Then came low thuds as the faggots were cast down. The light which had streamed in through the entrance gradually became obscure, and the voices of those without muffled. The darkness grew more intense as the faggots were piled thicker and thicker. Then suddenly a slight odour of smoke was perceived. "'Come along now,' Archie said. "'They've fired the pile, and there's no fear of their entrance.' Two of their number, with blazing pine-knots, led the way. When they reached the narrow spot all passed through, Archie and Andrew Macpherson last, these took the bundles of earth as the others passed them along from behind, and built them up like a wall across the entrance, beating them down as they piled them, so as to make them set close and fill up every crevice. Several remained over after the wall was completed. These were opened and the earth crammed into the crevices between the bags. The smell of smoke had grown strong before the wall was completed, but it was not too oppressive to breathe. Holding the torch close to the wall, Archie and his comrades stopped closely the few places through which they saw that the smoke was making its way, and soon had the satisfaction of seeing that the barrier was completely smoke-tight. There was plenty of air in the passage to support life for some time, but Archie called back to those who were laboring to enlarge the exit, in order to allow as much fresh air as possible to enter. A strong guard with spears was placed at the barrier, although Archie deemed that some hours at least would elapse before the curs could attempt to penetrate the cave. The fire would doubtless be kept up for some time, and after it had expired, it would be long before the smoke cleared out sufficiently from the cave to allow of anyone entering it. After a time, finding that there was no difficulty in breathing, all the air was certainly close and heavy. Archie again set the lads at work, widening the entrance, going up himself to superintend the operation. Each in turn crept forward, loosened a portion of the earth with his knife, then, filling his cap with it, crawled backward to the point where the passage widened. It was not yet dark when the work was so far done that there now remained only a slight thickness of earth, through which the roots of the heath protruded at the mouth of the passage and a vigorous push would make an exit into the air. The guard at the barrier had heard no movement within. Archie withdrew one of the bags, but the smoke streamed through so densely that he hastily replaced it, satisfied that some hours must still elapse before the assailants would enter the cave. They watched impatiently the falling light through the hole, and at last, when night was completely fallen, Archie pushed aside the earth and heather and looked around. They were, it seemed to him, on the side of the hill a few yards from the point where it fell steeply away. The ground was thickly covered with heather. He soon made his way out and ordered Andrew Macpherson, who followed him, to remain lying at the entrance, and to enjoin each, as he passed out, to crawl low among the heather, so that they might not show against the skyline. where, dark as it was, they might attract the attention of those below. Archie himself led the way until so far back from the edge as to be well out of sight of those in the valley. Then he gained his feet, and was soon joined by the whole band. "'Now,' he said, "'we'll make for ever, Philly. They think us all cooped up here, and will be rejoicing in our supposed deaths. We'll strike one more blow, and then, driving before us a couple of score of oxen for use of the army, rejoin Wallace." Methinks we shall have taken a fair vengeance of Kerr's doings at Glencairn. The consternation of the few men left in the castle was great, when three hours after sunset eight homesteads burst suddenly into flames. They dared not sally out, and remained under arms until morning, when Sir John and his band returned home furious than ever. As they had penetrated the cavern, discovered the barrier which had cut off the smoke, and the hole by which the foe had escaped, and their fury was brought to a climax when they found the damage which had been inflicted in their absence. Many a week passed before the garrison of Aberfilly, and the vassals of the Coors were able to sleep in peace, so great was the scare which Archie's raid had inflicted upon them. The truce was now at an end, the indignation excited by the treachery of the English spread widely through Scotland, and the people flocked to Wallace's standard in far greater numbers than before and he was now able to undertake operations on a greater scale. Perth, Aberdeen, Brecon, and other towns fell into his hands, and the castle of Dundee was invested. In the south Sir William Douglas captured the castles of Sankar, Gresdier, and others, and the rapid successes of the Scots induced a few of the greater nobles to take the field, such as the Stuart of Scotland, Sir Andrew Moray of Bothwell, Sir Richard London, and Wishart, Bishop of Glasgow. Wallace was one day lamenting to Archie and his friend Graham that the greater nobles still held aloof. Above all, he said, I would fain see on our side either Comyn or the young Bruce. Baliol is a captive in London, and it is to Comyn or Bruce that Scotland must look for her king. So long as only I, a poor knight, am at the head of this rising, it is but a rebellion against Edward, and its chances are still so weak that but few men, who have aught to lose, join us but if bruce or common should raise his banner all would receive him as our future king both are lords of wide territories and besides the forces they could bring into the field they would be joined by many of the principal nobles although it is true that the adherents of the other would probably arm for edward still the thought of a king of their own would inflame the popular mind and vast numbers who now hesitate to join a movement supported by so little authority would then take up arms "'Which of the two would you rather?' Archie asked. "'Well, I would rather the Bruce,' Wallace said. "'His father's an inert man and a mere cipher, "'and the death of his grandfather, the competitor, "'has now brought him prominently forward. "'It is true that he is said to be a strong adherent of England "'and a personal favourite of Edward, "'that he spends much of his time in London, "'and is even at the present moment the king's lieutenant "'in Carrick and Annandale, "'and is waging war for him against Sir William Douglas.' still common is equally devoted to england he is older and less can be hoped from him bruce is young he is said to be of great strength and skill in arms and to be one of the foremost knights in edward's court he is i hear of noble presence and is much loved by those with whom he comes in contact did such a man determine to break with edward and to strive to win the crown of scotland as a free gift of her people instead of as a nominee of edward and to rule over an independent kingdom instead of an english province he would attract all hearts to him and may well succeed where i as i foresee must sooner or later fail but why should you fail when you have succeeded so far archie asked because i have with me but a small portion of the people of scotland the whole of the northern lords hold aloof and in the south carrick and annandale and galloway are hostile against me i have all the power of england wales and ireland and although I may for a time win victories and capture towns, I am certain, Archie, in the end to be crushed. "'And will all our efforts have been in vain?' Archie said, with tears in his eyes. "'By no means, my brave lad. We shall have lighted the fire of a national resistance. We will have shown the people that if Scotland, divided against herself, and with all her great nobles and their vassals standing sullenly aloof, can yet for a long time make head against the English, assuredly when the time shall come, and she shall rise as one man from the Solway to Caithness. Her freedom will be won. Our lives will not have been thrown away, Archie, if they have taught this lesson. Wallace had by this time returned from his expedition further north, and his force was encamped near Lanark, which town, when not engaged in distant enterprises, was regarded as the centre of the movement. That evening Archie said that, as his leader proposed to give his troops rest for a week or two, he should go to his uncle's for a short time. And if you can spare them, Sir William, I would fain let my band go away for the same time. They have now been six months from home. Certainly, Wallace said, they need a rest after their hard work. They are ever afoot and have been of immense service. Having obtained this permission, Archie went to the spot where his band were encamped. I have another expedition for you, he said, this time altogether. When that is over, you will be able to go home for a few days for a rest. They will all be glad to see you, and may well be proud of you, and I doubt not that the spoil which you gathered at Ayr and elsewhere, will create quite a sensation at Glencairn. There are some of you who are, as I remember in the old days, good shots with the bow and arrow. Do ten of you who are the best at home get bows and arrows from the store? Here is an order for you to receive them, and be all in readiness to march at daylight." The next morning the band sent out in a southwesterly direction, and after a long day's march, halted near Cumnock. In the morning they started at the same time, observing more caution as they went, for by the afternoon they had crossed the stream and were within the boundaries of Carrick. They halted for the night near Crossregal Abbey. Here, for the first time, Archie confided to his followers the object of their march. We are now, he said, within a few miles of Turnberry Castle, the residence of Bruce. Sir William has a great desire to speak with him, but seeing that Bruce is at present fighting for King Edward against Douglas, there is little chance of such a meeting coming about with his good will. He has recently returned from Douglasdale. Here, in the heart of his own country, it is like enough that he may ride near his castle with but a few horsemen. In that case we will seize him without, I trust, having to do him hurt, and will bear him with us to Lanark. We may have to wait some time before we find an opportunity but even if the ten days for which I have asked lengthen to as many weeks, Sir William will not grudge the time we have spent if we succeed. Tomorrow morning let us, those who have bows, go out in the forest and see if they can shoot a deer, or, failing that, bring in a sheep or two from some of the foals. As each of you has brought with you meal for ten days, we shall be able to keep an eye on Turnberry for some time. The next day Archie, with Andrew McPherson and Clooney Campbell, made their way through the woods until within sight of the castle, which was but a mile distant. The strongholds of the lords of Carrick stood on a bold promontory washed by the sea. Ay, "'That would be a tough nut to crack, Sir Archie,' as lieutenant said, "'unless by famine that place could scarcely be taken.' "'No,' Archie replied, "'I am glad that our mission is rather to capture the earl than his castle. "'It is a grand fortalice. "'Would that its owner were but a true Scotsman!' This is a good place on which we are standing, Andrew. to place a scout. Among the trees here we can watch the road all the way from the castle to the point where it enters the forest. Do you, Clooney, take post here at once. Mark well all that passes, and what is doing, and all bodies of men who enter or leave the castle. There is no occasion to bring news to me, for it would be unlikely that we should meet in the forest. You have therefore only to watch. Tomorrow I shall return with the band and encamp in the woods farther back. Directly we arrive, you will be relieved of your guard." The following day the band moved up to a spot within half a mile of the seaward edge of the forest, and a few hundred yards from the road to Regal Abbey. It was only on this road that Archie could hope to effect a capture, for the country near the coast was free of trees, and no ambush could be set. The lords of Carrick were, moreover, patrons of the abbey, and Bruce might ride over thither with but a small party. Whereas, as if journeying south or southeast toward Douglasdale. He'd probably be marching with a stronger force. For several days they watched the castle. Bodies of mounted men entered and departed. Twice parties, among them ladies, could be seen, came out with their hawks, but none came within reach of their lurking foes. On the fifth morning, however, the lad on watch ran into the glade in which they were encamped, and reported that a small body of seemingly two or three knights, with some ladies, followed by four armed men, had left the castle, and were approaching by the route toward the abbey. Not a moment was lost. Archie placed six of his company with pike and sword close to the road, to form across it when he gave the order, and to bar the retreat of any party who had passed. Another party of equal strength he placed one hundred yards further on, and with them himself took post, while he placed four, armed with bows and arrows on either side, near the party which he commanded. Scarcely had these preparations been made when a trampling of horses was heard, and the party was seen approaching. They consisted of Robert Bruce, his brother Nigel, and three of his sisters, Isabel, Mary, and Christina. Behind rode four men-at-arms. From the description which he had heard of them, Archie had no doubt that the elder of the two knights was Robert Bruce himself, and when they approached within thirty yards, he gave a shout, and with his band, with leveled spears, drew up across the road. At the same moment the other party closed in behind the horsemen, and the eight archers, with bent bows and arrows drawn to the head, rose among the trees. The party reined in their horses suddenly. "Ha! what have we here?' Bruce exclaimed. "'An ambush, and on all sides, too,' he added as he looked round. "'What what means this? Are you robbers who thus dare attack the Bruce within a mile of Turnberry?' "Ah, "'Why, they are but lads,' he added scornfully. Rain back, girls. We and the men-at-arms will soon clear a way for you through these varlets. "'Nay, I can do it single-handed myself.' "'Halt! Sir Robert Bruce!' Archie exclaimed in a loud, clear voice. "'If you move, I must perforce give the word, and it may well be that some of the ladies with you may be struck with the arrows. "'Nor young though my followers may be, would you find them so easy a conquest as you imagine. "'They have stood up before the English air now, and you and your men-at-arms will find it hard work to get through their pikes.' and we outnumber you threefold we are no robbers i myself am sir archibald forbes you exclaimed robert bruce lowering his sword which he had drawn at the first alarm and held up lifted in readiness for a charge you sir archibald forbes i have heard the name often as that of one of wallace's companions who with sir john graham fought with him bravely at the captures of lanark ayr and other places but surely you cannot be he "'I am Sir Archibald Forbes. I pledge you my word,' Archie said quietly. "'And Sir Robert Bruce, methinks, that if I, who am, as you see, but yet a lad, not yet having reached my seventeenth year, can have done good service for Scotland, how great the shame that you, a valiant knight and a great noble, should be in the ranks of her oppressors, and not of her champions! My name will tell you that I have come hither for no purpose of robbery. I have come on a mission from Wallace not sent thereon by him, but acting myself in consequences of words which dropped from him. He said how sad it was that you, who might be king of a Scotland free and independent, by the choice of her people, should prefer the chance of reigning a mere puppet of Edward over an enslaved land. He spoke in the highest terms of your person, and held that, did you place yourself at its head, the movement which he commands would be a successful one, then I determined, unknown to him, to set out and bring you to him face to face. Honorably and with courtesy, if you would, by force, if you would not. I would fain it shall be the former, but, believe me, you would not find it easy to break away through the hedge of pikes now around you. By this time the whole party had gathered round the horsemen. Bruce hesitated. His mind was not yet made up as to his future course. Hitherto he had been with England, since upon Edward only his chances seemed to depend but latterly he had begun to doubt whether even Edward could place him on the throne, in despite of the wishes of his countrymen. His sisters, who, taking after their mother, were all true Scotch women, now urged upon him to comply with Archie's request, and accompany Archie to Lanark. Their hearts and wishes were entirely with the champion of their country. "'Go with him, Robert!' Isabel the eldest exclaimed. "'Neither I nor my sisters fear being struck with the arrows.' "'although such might well be the case should a conflict begin. "'But for your own sake and Scotland's go and see Wallace. "'No harm can arise from such a journey, and much good may come of it. "'Even should the news of your having had an interview with him come to the ears of Edward, "'you can truly say that you were taken thither a captive, "'and that we being with you, you were unable to make an effort to free yourself. "'This young knight, of whose deeds of gallantry we have all heard,' "'and she smiled approvingly at Archie, "'will doubtless give you a safeguard on his honour to return hither free and unpledged when you have seen wallace willingly lady archie replied one hour's interview with my honored chief is all i ask for that over i pledge myself that the earl of carrick shall be free at once to return hither and that an escort shall be provided for him to protect him from all dangers on the way end of chapter 7 the cave in the pentlands recording by mike harris